Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Uh, joining me on the phone from L.A. Guns, it is new frontman Kirk Froelich. The band's album, Renegades, comes out later this year. But uh, before that, let us welcome back returning co-host, the one, the only, the indefatigable Alan Niven. Bonjour, Monsieur Alain. Bonjour, Monsieur. Ça va? Oui. And, and, and I've said this Good. previously, and I'll keep saying it again. I am glad that we are doing this regularly again. Uh, I think what we had a year or two years ago, whenever it was, was magic. And I tried doing it alone for a little bit because of circumstance. And I just realized I'm, I, this is more fun. <laughs> it's just more fun this way. So merci. You're, well, you're making it fun again. Well, bless your heart. I do it because it's fun. I enjoy doing it with you. And I'm very uh, honored to have the privilege to do this with you. And, uh, you know, hopefully we illuminate and uh, entertain a little bit. Yes. And you got someone to uh, drop the occasional bomb and uh, you can smile and watch it go off. Exactly. And, and plus, on your Wikipedia page, it says that you are co-host for Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. So we have to, uh, you know, add to the truthiness <laughs> of Wikipedia, right? Can, can. I'm I'm entirely not responsible for that. I've, I I'm sure most people do their own Wikipedia pages. I really could give a damn. Um, I did once do a reasonable shot at a curriculum vitae for LinkedIn, and that's it. That's enough said. Boring enough. Let's right. go on. Yeah, let's go on. And and I, I will say this once. Once I went to research something on Alice Cooper for an interview. And it said, according to Alice's producer, Mitch LaFon, and I went, what What now? <laughs> so <laughs> that is the day that I actually signed up for, for Wikipedia. And I went and I modified that because there was like, I don't know who wrote that or how they got that idea. It wasn't me. But that's got to disappear because we cannot have, have that out there. I, I really don't know who put that there. And I also don't know who wrote that you are... Uh, professionally now the rock talk host not that i mind but i don't know who writes this stuff but i'm down for it anyway uh let us get over to a uh, kurt here's the here's the great thing about kurt so he he joins la guns this this version with steve riley and kelly nichols they play m3 great show they do this new album first couple of singles sound good but here's where you and i are going to get off on it he actually got to play Hockey with Mark Messier, the Mark and Wayne Gretzky. Isn't that cool? That that's like it's almost the same as someone handing you a Telecaster and saying, "Go out there on the stage and just back Jimmy up with a few chords." I mean, my God, can you imagine being on the ice with the great one or Messier, who is just a legend of the sport? I mean, that's. That's lifetime magic when that sort of thing happens. When you get that close to somebody that special and actually do something with them, it's incredible. It is. And and so, you know, uh, Kirk tells the story during the interview, but it's just funny because, uh, well, anyway, he, he tells it during the interview, but, but his dad was the lawyer for the uh, Edmonton Oilers and the, he, he's from Edmonton and so on and so forth. And anyway, uh, we, I was having a conversation off air and he's like, 
oh, yeah, you know, Wayne Gretzky used to be at the house and Yari Curry and and and, Mar-. and I'm like, what now? They, they, what now? <laughs> and so anyway, he so in fact, let's just start the interview. Here is a from L.A. Guns a frontman Kurt Froelich and his LA, his Edmonton Oilers stories. Here's Kurt. We are speaking with L.A. Guns frontman Kurt Froelich, the new album. Renegades out on Golden Robot Records later this year. As we say in Montreal, bonjour, Kirk. Comment allez-vous? How are you? Très bien, merci. Très I'm bien. Great. Yeah, you're you're Hello, Canadian. You are from Canada, right? You're you're a, you're a Vancouverite. Is that how we say them? Vancouverites. Vancouver. I am an Edmontonian. Ooh, so I was born and raised in Edmonton, and uh, went out to Vancouver for a couple of years. Did some music out there, and. Uh, Yep, but and then I moved to Vegas in '99. But up until then, in Canada. So, does that make you a de facto hockey fan? Are you, are you an Oilers fan, or or did you say I am diehard Oilers fan? Ah. Yeah, my father worked for the Oilers for 12 years. He worked for really? the Oilers organization for 12 years. So Gretzky would come over to the house and Messier and coffee and all those guys and it was pretty cool wait, wait, wait. Back, back up the truck here i know we're going to talk la guns renegades album but <laughs> but but wayne gretzky and mark messier or let me, let me rephrase that the great wayne gretzky and the great mark messier and, and yari curry yeah. would just sort of hang out at your house well they would yeah because my father did uh some lot he did he was a lawyer for the edmonton oilers for years and uh so we would get like the coaches would come coach my my team because I played hockey and my dad coached the team. And I'll tell you one quick story about when we we practiced. My dad got the ice Northlands Coliseum where the Oilers played after their practice. Our my father got our team to practice after them get the ice. And he said to the to Glenn Sather, who was the coach at the time, said, "Oh, I know who Glenn Sather is." Say, yeah, you know, you know, uh-huh. Montreal, you know. Yeah. So he said, what about some of the players staying on after? And he goes, I think it was Teddy Green, assistant coach said, tell you what, we'll do better than that. And all the players stayed. So we got to take shots on Fuhrer and, and then we played a scrimmage and I took a face off. I played center ice. I took a face off against Messier and they were going to run like a drill. All right, guys, break out, pull the face off and go around. These guys like pylons, you know, we were like, I don't know, young, like 12 years old. So he wow. dropped the puck, and I pulled the I pulled the face off and uh, pulled it away from Mark Messier. <laughs> that was my uh, that was my day of glory of hockey. Wow! So that's kind of cool. Now now that you've moved down to uh, to Vegas, or now uh, you know, twenty one years ago, you moved down to Vegas. Was it exciting then to have the Golden Knights show up in town? Because that that's been a success story beyond success story. Did you look at that and go, "Fuck yeah, man! Look at this." Well, I was in Vegas. I'm now in Florida, but when I was in Vegas, I finally got season tickets to a hockey team. No, you know, it was my dream. I'm like, I want season tickets to an NHL team. You know, my father, my father worked for the organization back then, but you know, after that being out on your own. And then finally they were coming to town, coming to Vegas, Vegas was getting a hockey team. And I moved to uh, Orlando. <laughs> What, what's the closest kind of one? Bummer. What's the closest one then for Orlando? Is it the Panthers or the or the or the Lightning? Tampa Bay Lightning's about an hour and a half away from me here, uh, so I go see the Oilers every every time they're in town. I go see the Oilers play. Good, and and, and next time the Habs come into town, go down and just uh, raise a cup for me and hope we beat those bastards. <laughs> yeah, they're good. They, Lightning are a good team. 
Anyway, uh, fans are uh, tuning in to hear us talk rock, not necessarily talk hockey, though. When you tune right. into a Canadian show, there's always a risk <laughs> that a hockey conversation when will break Canadians up. When Canadians hook up, they're going to talk some hockey. Yeah, it, it, it is It is just the way it goes up uh, up north. Uh, but okay, so, so let's talk about this L.A. guns thing. So last year, before the M3 Festival, Steve Riley says, I'm going to do a version of L.A. Guns. And then there was this mystery. Who's going to be the singer? Who's the, uh, and it went on for, for a few weeks. Uh, just quickly, how, how did you get the gig? How did Steve Riley and Kelly Nichols know who you were? Did, did you send in a demo? Did they see a videotape? Was it a buddy who said, hey, you got to check out Kurt, man. He's fucking awesome. Like, how did that sort of happen? Well, I got a text from my friend Jason Green. I used to work with a band out of Vegas, uh, called the Sin City Sinners, and he was managing them. And I was kind of like the fifth, sixth member of that, and I produced some of the records. And when uh, uh, Todd Kearns, their singer, was out of town doing playing with Slash or whatever, I would fill in for him. And so I did a lot of work with them. And uh, so he messaged me from Vegas. I was, I'm out here in Orlando and said, LA Guns is looking for a singer. Are you interested at all? Throw your name in the hat. And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not really... Uh, that style of singer. I love LA guns. I grew up, I, you know, listening to all the records. So, and, uh, but I was a little hesitant because I'm not, that's not really my style of singing. And then, uh, I left for a couple of days and thought about it. And I was like, man, I'd kick myself if I didn't at least try this, you know, cause I'm such a fan and I love the songs and I love the music. And I, and then next thing you know, I got a call from Steve Riley and, uh, Obviously, he had done some homework on me. I didn't send any demos in or any videos. I think uh, those guys did their homework online and talked to people that I know in the circles of uh, from Vegas and L.A. And uh, I, he kind of, between talking to other people and uh, talking to Steve, I kind of talked me into it and said, you got to be you, man. Be yourself. And I was like, that's the only way I can do it, is sing. And I'm sure you hear on the first uh, track crawl. That's 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 my style of singing. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to imitate anybody's voice or just got to be myself. And so so far so good. Yeah, and, and crawl sounds great. By the way, I, I mean I I know that 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 there's this sort of division where fan bases are going. Well, one you, you can't like one if you like the other, and which to me is complete nonsense. I think you can like both. I think you can promote both. I think you can enjoy both. I don't think it has to be any kind of competition. But let's get to uh, M3 here. So here we are in May of 2019. The band's going to play. I'm there. I'm there with my buddy Jeremy White. And we sort of look at each other and we go, okay, this is going to be one of two things. It is going to be a massive train wreck. And it's going to be all over Twitter and Internet. And people are going to just, you know, or it's going to be phenomenal. And people are just going to go, oh, well, look at that. And it turns out it was the latter. And I put some some video up on Twitter and on Facebook and other places. And then the people started writing in on my Twitter. They're going, man, I was expecting a train wreck, but this is actually really fucking good. And that sort of built a bit of a momentum because all of a sudden, all these people that were expecting the worst went, oh, oh, okay. So so how was that show for you? And, and did you have that sense of sort of a do or die, like man, if we don't hit this out of the park, it's going to just, you know, how was it for you? I think we went into it just, you know, hoping for the best. And we, the thing that really 
affected is we all really did our homework. And so we went in, we didn't really, we, we all live in different corners of the country. So we didn't get to like hang out and rehearse for weeks. We pretty much did one day of rehearsal. And then we just went home to our separate cities, did our homework and then showed up. That's pretty much how it went. So it was nerve wracking and especially nerve wracking because I know um, we were going to be under the microscope, you know, which we were, but uh, we just had fun with it. And we were just like, what happens happens, you know, that's kind of the attitude we took. And how did you approach it vocally? Because, you know, there are some bands like Great White and Rat and L.A. Guns where it's very distinctive, the voice. Did you say, okay, I've got to go mimic this? Or did you just say, hey, listen, I'm just going to interpret interpret these songs in my way? I want to do the melodies as close to the way they're written because they're great melodies and then, you know, they're great songs. So I want to do the songs justice as much as I can while being myself. I don't want to change melodies. So that's kind of how, and phrasing, I think Phil's phrasing is really great. The way he uh, takes uh, his flow of melody and timing. I really love, and you know, that can't be changed. That's why those songs are hits vocal melodies and songwriting. So. Of course, of course. So uh, talk to me about the uh, the Renegades album. Do, do we have an actual release date on it or is it still at some point this year? It's all being dependent on what's going to happen with live shows. And, you know, so far we're scheduled to start going out in August. So we'd like to, the, the album to release before we start doing all our shows. So that's kind of the time frame for, we're on right now. So... Um, if anything changes, we would have to push stuff back. But, uh, as of now, we're starting shows in early August. So, and we want the album to come out before then. And, but there's going to be a new single coming out next month in June. So we're looking forward to that new single. It's going to blow people away. I, I love this next song we're putting out. So does it have a title? Can we, can we reveal a title? Is that, uh, I, I don't think I can reveal a title yet. That's dangerous. All right. Uh, I, I do want to ask you a couple more things about the album, but I just want to get this out of the way before I forget. When I was uh, researching for all of this, I noticed that uh, Kurt Frolic comes up as a professional voice actor. That's that's one of the things that pops up when you when you look for you. Is that something oh, that you're – well, I don't know. Is that something that you actively do? Is that something that you and, – and what does that mean? I studied voiceover. Uh, when I was in Las Vegas at a school, a voiceover school in Las Vegas, and um, for about uh, a year, maybe a year or two, and then I started actively because when I was moving from Las Vegas, in Las Vegas, I was a full-time musician, making you know making a really good living, and so when I was, we wanted to get our, we had a, a little girl, we wanted to start her in school somewhere other than Las Vegas because the schools weren't, you know, what we were looking for, and. Uh, so we moved out to Florida, to Orlando, and I was like, I don't think I'm going to be making as much money as I was in Las Vegas. So that's why I started taking voiceover lessons, and I was actively working as a voiceover artist. And as a voiceover artist, you can work from your home. So I did everything from video games to ads to all sorts of stuff. And now that I'm full-time again, now that I'm back on my feet, it took me a couple of years, I just kind of, I don't have time to do the voice voiceover work anymore as I'm playing full time as a musician not right now, obviously, but I got it up to there here in Orlando. So now the, the, the voiceover stuff, is it stuff that we would have heard of or is it sort of, you know, 
random documentaries like you know do i do i turn on a wendy's commercial and hear your voice and i, and I don't mean to be that facetious i'm, I'm serious <laughs> was it like some high profile stuff um nothing on like uh nationwide television or anything like that it was a lot some of the stuff was like internet ads for like watch companies and and for like uh some gyms and stuff like chain gyms it wasn't like anything as big as like Cole's gym or something but and then i did some like a uh, couple of horror video games where I was the main character. So if you're a gamer, you might see, hear my voice on some stuff, but uh, yeah, nothing, nothing that uh, anybody probably would re- remember off the top of their head. All right. Well, that's kind of cool. So uh, before we get to uh, talking about kiss, let's just talk about renegades. Now, from what I understand, it was recorded rather uh, quickly. It, it wasn't one of these were in the studio for six months. Talk to me a little bit about that. And, and how involved were you with the arrangement and the writing and actually making these songs? Or did Kelly and Steve say, hey, listen, we know what L.A. Guns is. We'll, we'll get that part done. Just come on in and sing. How, how much was it a team project and how much was it not a team project, I guess? It was a four-part team project, like evenly, totally evenly. And, it, you know, it was a democracy. Everyone submitted songs. We all submitted a bunch of songs and then we narrowed it down to like 10, 12 songs. And so say we used a couple of Kelly songs, a couple of my songs, everyone's songs made the album and we all agreed this song's better than this song. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's use that song. And then we wrote, we like, I'd write parts for Kelly songs and vice versa, Kelly. And, you know, and Steve's has songs in the album. So it was all completely a team effort. So the album has diversity and it has depth, I think, where it's not just one person or two people writing the material. I think that really comes across in the album. And it, it's the album has depth and it has everything from a couple ballads to like some really hard rockers that you might hear like on the first Silly Guns record. So, All right. See, I'm, I'm down for this. Now, uh, one of the ways that we, we've known each other in the past was... Uh, Vancouver's own Kiss tribute band, Black Diamond, which I believe also had Benny Doro in it. Uh, um, yeah. Talk to me about that time and, and putting that band together and and the importance of Kiss in your life. I got my first Kiss record when I was six years old. I got the first self-titled album. I had a Mickey Mouse record player where Mickey's finger was like the needle, if anybody had one of those. And I, I was like, I didn't think it was cool that I had the Mickey Mouse record player, but the Kiss album... I put it on my Mickey Mouse record player and the, I, at first I looked at the album cover and I was like, Whoa, my cousin who was in a band gave me the album. And he goes, check this out. And for like right away, I saw the album cover and I was like, Oh my God, I have to listen to this. And sure enough, like strutter was like one of my favorite songs for 10 years more than that. So I was hooked right away. And then, uh, fast forward to the nineties, early nineties, there was a Benny Doro had a original band and he was being managed by Paul Stanley at the time and he needed a guitar player. So uh, my bass player friend from Calgary contacted me and said, they're looking for a guitar player for this original band. And he sent me the material and it sounded like, it sounded like revenge kiss between revenge kiss and like 1984 Van Halen. So I was, in Van Halen and Kiss, two of my favorite bands. So uh, I learned the material. I drove out to Vancouver 
and we would send Paul Stanley demos of the stuff we were doing. And, uh, Paul was like, it's, it's, I can't really do anything with this stuff. It's it's like late eighties rock. You know what I mean? So, uh, he said, what, you know, what about doing something more current? Like that was when Alice in Chains it was hitting and all, all the nineties stuff, like 90, this was like 93. And we really weren't into that at the time. We were still into Kiss and Van Halen, you know. And so Benny said to Paul Stanley, he said, what about doing a Kiss tribute? And he said, yeah, you have our blessing to do it. So we went to school and all this stuff and put on the makeup and rehearsed and got a pyro guy, got a lighting guy. And we went out and did like, we toured and did like the big show. All the, we did like 32 concussion bombs a night in our show and, we didn't make much money because it all went back in the show. So it was kind of like, I, I saw doing the Kiss tribute thing as like my university. We toured, we went to Japan, we did all the United States and Canada multiple times. So that was kind of like my university of rock and roll in my 20s. That's kind of cool. And, and I don't know if you are able to quickly look at your Facebook, but I sent you two pictures, which I believe are I you. I just saw that. Those are yeah, you. that's me. All right. I, I will post those later for, for folks to see. But... Uh, you also opened for Kiss, right, on, on the convention tour? Yeah, they, uh, Benny was in direct contact, I think, with uh, Kiss's camp. So he would, they wanted to do this big run of shows when they were doing the convention tour because they had uh, they had tribute bands opening up for them or doing before their acoustic set. Their a Kiss tribute would play, but we were actively out on tour, like we were we were doing shows across the country, you know, full time. We'd do like five, six shows a week, all one nighter. And uh so we were gonna do the Dallas show and the New Orleans show. And then the New Orleans show got canceled. So we had to drive we drove we were in Minnesota at the time. So we drove all the way down just to do the one show in Dallas. And then uh we drove all the way back up to get back on our track of our tour. All right, so so let's let's do the uh, the the key the kiss geek thing for a second. Um, All right, I'm did, in. Did did Vinnie Vincent save Kiss? Yes or no? Did Vinnie save? I don't know if "save" is a good word. I think he was. He brought a lot to the table. Yeah, as far he did. as songs. Yeah, as far as songs, and I don't know if "save" is a word. Didn't a lot of different guys audition at that time? It just happened to be Vinnie that. Yeah, maybe he got in because he had brought some good songs to the table. Who knows, right? Um, as yeah. as the character Ace Frehley, when you're when you're playing these things, what are some of the things you notice in terms of his playing? Because I I know the Black Diamond tribute band; it, it was a top quality band. You you really had it sort of nailed down. Is it easy to play Ace's style? Like, what is what is sort of the the, the easiest part of being the Ace thing, and, and what's sort of the toughest stuff you've had to do? I think when this was in like my early twenties, when I was learning all this material, the like Ace's stuff, and I kind of got when you're learning. I know guitar players might be able to relate. You kind of get into the guitar player's head of what he's doing and what kind of map he's following and and what his habits are, and that's kind of what. It, that was kind of easy for me because I kind of related to that. I related to the way Ace plays and everything. So it kind of came easier. Like a guy like Richie Blackmore, who is, I, I can't get in that guy's head, man. He's just like, I, you know what I mean? Whereas Ace, obviously Ace isn't a comp, as complex a guitar player as that, but 
I can, I really saw how Ace approaches the guitar. Once you kind of get in that headspace, it helps. All right. So I'm going to ask you the, the, the very traditional questions then. Is Destroyer their best album? From a financial standpoint, obviously it was, but I don't know. Well, that's, it's different. It's a different album because it's got, you know, the, the piano in it. And it's not my favorite Kiss album. It's, you know, it's obviously one of the best Kiss albums, but, you know, I love Rock and Roll Over and Dress to Kill. And, yeah. It's that's arguable. It's arguable. Well, well we can argue it. I, I, I am going to, <laughs> no, but I'm going to agree with you. I, I think, uh, and I don't mean to be disparaging, I, I, I think it is slightly overrated. I think it's a great a great album. And, of course, Detroit Rock City and King of the Nighttime World. And, you know, you can't deny those songs. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, when you get down to great expectations and stuff, you're just like, all right, already, stop it. Whereas when you listen to Love Gun or when you listen to Rock and Roll Over or, or Creatures of the Night or Revenge, there is no point for me on those albums where I get a fatigue. Right? I mean, you, you sort of have yeah. to... Right. I agree. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Some know. of the stuff is like, yeah, I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather hear like two timer than, than uh, sweet pain or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Or, and, and well, for me, for me, it's great expectations. I just find it to be not, you know, classic. <laughs> if I can put it that way. Yeah. It's no king of the nighttime world. Yeah. It's, it's whatever. Um, just real quick. Will 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 Real quick, back on on uh, L.A. Guns. Once Renegade comes out and, and you're going, what is sort of the plan for this band? Is it what we're going to tour and we'll see how the fans react to us and if it's great, we'll keep going? Or is there like a one-year plan and say, hey, we'll go do an album cycle and then everybody goes back to their house and merry way? How do you sort of see this moving forward? Because with you being sort of you know a younger guy uh, compared to the others, you could certainly draw this out for another 10 or 15 years if everybody wants to i think if we can i'm happy i'm really happy with this renegades album and if we can keep putting out good material and we keep enjoying it and people want to come see it we'll keep doing it that's you know if it's not enjoyable for us or for the fans we don't want to do it but as of now, we you know we don't put a timeline really on anything. Okay, so then what makes you happy about this Renegades album? I think that we all, all of us put our hearts into this album, and we're all on it. Our lyrics are on it. Our, you know, we we all play. We obviously all played equally on it, and it's just such a joint effort that it's not you know like I played all my guitar tracks. I played Scotty played all his. Solos. I even Scotty was like, "Why don't you take the solo on this song?" So I played a solo on guitar solo on a song. That's just kind of how, and that's why it feels so good. And the songs, the songs are strong. I'm just excited for everybody to hear it. Really. Well, you can uh, go ahead and send it to me. I'll, I have no problems. Uh, you feel free. <laughs> feel free. Just, just uh, call. Just call Steve. Just call Steve. Yeah, I'll call Steve and and, and ask him to to send it over. Uh, in terms of of yourself, though. Did, do you still want to have sort of a side career where you'll do uh, solo stuff, maybe do another original material band, maybe go back and do some Kiss tribute stuff? How do you sort of see yourself moving forward? I'm, I've am i always been a full-time musician. I've never had a day job, so this is all I know how to do. The only, that's, the only thing I did was that voiceover stuff to kind of bridge me moving. 
where I didn't have to go out and, you know, do a nine to five job. I'm not cut out for that. So I, I have a cover band here in Orlando. We do all British rock. I play with the guys from a couple guys from blue man group, a guy from, uh, used to play the seven Mary three. And we do, we do all British rock. We love doing like Bowie T-Rex, the sweet and all stuff that we love. And it's actually taken off here in, in uh, Florida area. We do corporate gigs. We do, you know, we do it to make money. You know, I don't want to work a day job. I'd rather play rock and roll. Oh, yeah. so I, we do a little bit of everything. And I, I play, uh, uh, we do nineties rock and roll thing. Uh, that fills in the gas. We do, we play everywhere from the house of blues to nightclubs to corporate gigs, anything that keeps us working. Yeah. Well, good as it should be. And, uh, we'll finish on this is how, how devastating has this COVID thing been for you? I mean, obviously there's no gigs right now. So everything you just described about making money and playing for gigs is currently not happening. Is it, is it something that you can rebound from or, or do you start thinking, Hmm, maybe I should go be an accountant. Like, like, do you start saying, man, maybe I do need a plan B. I don't, I don't think the plan B is even an option. I think, I think the main thing is the timeline. Like when is stuff like large concerts like M3, when are those possible to do, you know, big sporting events, you know, NHL hockey, when's that going to happen with even 50% of the crowd there? Um, that's, that's the main thing I'm worried about. As far as chomping at the bit and all of us sitting at home right now, I'm kind of like, you know what? I, I can't change it. Let's just make the best of it. You know, let's, I'm really glad we finished this, the Renegades album before all this shit went down, because that would have been, that would have sucked that we are all in the studio together was so great. And even like my British rock cover band, we just did a, we just put an album out via Dropbox. It's not out yet, but we, you know, so we're just trying to make the best of it. So we're all, we're all in the same boat. It's kind of how I see it and just enjoy spending time with your family. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing too. I got the dog right next to me here. It's actually kind of great. And, and, you know, listen, uh, I hope for M3 to come back because it was, it was a great beginning for you. You were supposed yeah. to play it again. And, and, you know, I think it was a premier stage. Scheduled, so. Hmm. Let, let, yeah, let's see. And, and the, the, the one thing for me as a Canadian now is, will they let me into the country? Cause right now I cannot go because the border's closed. So it's like, oh. Hey, there's the festival. You know, you can't go. So wow, yeah, I'm my folks in Edmonton, so I'm like, yeah, when can I do that? You can't. Now, I'll tell you one good thing about this COVID thing is the sports channels. You know, the dedicated sports channels, which uh, in Canada are Sportsnet and TSN. They've been replaying classic hockey games, and so mm-hmm. for the last month, I've been able to watch the Canadians win Stanley Cups over and over every night. So that's actually been a benefit because it's been like 30 years since they've actually done it. <laughs> so <laughs> they won a lot in the 70s. Yeah. yeah so I'm good with all like they, they were showing the uh, the flames and the Habs from 89 all week and, and the Habs won. I was like, I'm good with this. I don't need to watch real hockey. This is fine. Let's go back to the good old so, days. The Oilers are finally going to make the playoffs this year. Well, so much for that. So much for that. Well, listen, think about it this way. <laughs> Connor McDavid with his legs and all that. 
They probably rushed him back in. Now he's had an extra few months to rest. Next season, come September or October, he will be in prime shape. So you'll you'll be good yeah. to go. Anyway, on, on that, uh, Monsieur Frolic, Frolic uh, Kurt, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Oh, great pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for everything. Yeah. Appreciate your support as always, man. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I wish I wish you all the best with with Renegades. I, I I truly think Crawl was a great lead off track, and I can't wait to hear the second one. But ultimately, I can't wait to hear the whole album because uh, you know, good rock and roll. So let's go. Anyway, thank you, sir. You're gonna dig it. Ah, Thanks, Mitch. Here's Paul Stanley to tell you why he doesn't want to shake your hand. Some people might have a little rock and roll pneumonia. Ugh, not even cold gin will kill those germs. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon.